Welcome to a special offering by Conversations with a Wounded Healer, the Burnt Out Practice Owner. This series will discuss the current state of group practice ownership, the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll hear current and former practice owners' tales of glory and woe as we attempt to answer the ultimate question, why do we do this to ourselves? And we wanna hear from you too. What have been your biggest moments of struggle or triumph? What are questions you want us to explore? I'm your host, Sarah Bueno. I owned and operated my practice Head Heart Therapy for 10 years before selling in 2023. Ownership was an equally grueling and rewarding experience for me, and I now spend my time helping current practice owners find balance for themselves. Join us between releases of Conversations with a Wounded Healer for this special series. OMG, my friends, how you doing? How burnt and crispy are we right now? I've been hearing a lot of people are going through some stuff. So if that's you, hang in there. This episode will hopefully be really helpful for you. If you do find it helpful, you know what would be helpful for me? If you share this with others. I am really jazzed up about supporting practice owners right now. I don't know if you know this, but this is what I've been doing now since I sold Head Heart Therapy. Head Heart Business Therapy, I am now a business consultant for group therapy practices, OMG. So share this podcast with others because I'd love to get some new consulting clients. You could also rate and review on Apple Podcast. As you may or may not know, this entire podcast is called Conversations with a Wounded Healer, which I've been doing since March of 2018. So it's been a million years now. But The Burnt Out Practice Owner is this special series that's sort of capturing the energy of what's happening in the therapy field right now. So you can rate and review on Apple Podcasts, and I'd love for you to listen to a regular episode of Conversations with a Wounded Healer as well. And I really meant what I said in the intro about hearing from you. I want to know what you're thinking. I want to know how this is landing. What feedback do you have? What am I missing? What else needs to be included? You can reach out to me by email at sarah at headheartbiztherapy.com. Or you can find me on Instagram at headheartbiztherapy. Or I'm also on Facebook at headheartbiztherapy, but I don't know where those messages go. Facebook is doing weird things. Anyway, I'm excited you're here, and I'm super duper excited to introduce you to today's guest. So Annie Schusler is a business coach and the host of the Rebel Therapist podcast. With her Rebel Therapist programs, she helps therapists, healers, and coaches make an impact beyond traditional private practice. You can find her resources at rebeltherapist.me. And Amazing Annie was on Conversations with a Wounded Healer. Gosh, I couldn't even tell you when it was. Feels like a million years ago. And I have just admired the work that Annie has done. And in this podcast, it's a little bit different for her because she's talking about a part of her, well, I, I'm not going to, I was about to say a part of her work that did not go so well, but I don't know that she would define it that way. But at any rate, we talk about her experience with practice ownership, my experience, and what we're seeing other folks struggle with right now. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with my dear friend, Annie Schusler. Hey there, therapist. How you doing? If you're like a lot of people out there, maybe you need a little bit more support than usual. Well, I've got you covered. I'm currently running two groups that I plan to run again in the fall of 2024. So add your name to the wait list to be notified as soon as info is available. First is the Burnt Out Practice Owner Support Group for group therapy practice owners. 
will focus on the emotional component of business ownership while building trust and connection with other practice owners. We'll explore topics such as boundary setting, feeling underappreciated, overwork, and find ways to reconnect with our agency. And you'll also have the support of other practice owners when challenges arise within your business. Next is the Authentic Leaders Group. It's here to help you become the authentic and wholehearted leader you aspire to be. Join me on an eight-month journey of self-discovery and leadership mastery, where you'll enhance your leadership skills and forge meaningful connections with fellow therapists who are committed to their own growth and the betterment of the therapy field. For the Burnt Out Practice Owner waitlist, go to www.headheartbiztherapy.com slash burnt out. Make sure you've got the T and B-U-R-N-T-O-U-T. And next is the Authentic Leaders Group waitlist at www.headheartbiztherapy.com slash authentic dash leaders dash group. Hope to see you soon. Annie. Sarah. Welcome to this special series of the Burnt Out Practice Owner. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. And well, I think we can just let listeners in on the the secret that you and I had emailed about. And you're like, I don't want to be a downer. And I was like, but sometimes yeah. <laughs> being a practice owner is a downer. So let's just like be honest about it. But I doubt this episode will be a downer. Yeah. Yes. And I adore you. So getting to spend time with you and talk honestly with you. Yay. Ditto. Is never a downer for me. So why don't you tell, first <laughs> tell folks what you're doing now and then we'll back up and how you how you got here. Great. So I am the host of Rebel Therapist podcast and I run a program helping therapists who want to move beyond private practice to start signature programs. So they start high-touch, niched signature programs that are not within a private practice model, and I help them create those and then launch them. Brilliant. Yeah. And before then, you were a practice owner. I was. So I was in private practice for 20 years. There was some overlap between those two careers, mm -hmm. in case you're thinking, like, how, when did she start? Right. So there, I was doing both at the same time for a while, and I had a group practice, and I actually don't remember how many years it was, but it was just a handful of years, mm -hmm. like maybe two or three. Yeah. And then I closed that mm -hmm. because it wasn't quite the right fit for me. So I think this is a really important question for people because, so I get the question all the time because I've been really honest about how hard mm -hmm. it was for me to be a practice owner. And so people ask, like, how did you know it was time to move on? Like, so what told you internally that this was not the right fit for you? Yeah, I have a really low tolerance for work that isn't a good fit for me. So as soon as I started feeling like, huh, running a group practice is not exciting me. It isn't feeling how I hoped it would feel. And I felt like, okay, the marketing energy that I have, mm -hmm. I'm wanting to put it into my coaching business. I'm not wanting to put it into my group yeah. practice. I'm starting to feel kind of burdened by my group practice. So as I looked ahead, I was like, I got to pick something. I got to pick one thing. I don't feel like I've got the energy to really do a great job with two different businesses. Yeah. And so I just had to pick one. And then as soon as I got clear on that, then I was really clear which one I wanted to pick, that I wanted to pick my coaching business 
And I just had a lot more things I wanted to say here. Yeah. And so I just decided, you know, I go through a process whenever I'm trying to make a decision about what to let go, where I think, okay, if I didn't have a group practice now, would I build one? And I was like, oh, hell no, I really would not. (laughs) Right. So then that was so clear. It's time to let it go. Yeah. What did you think it was going to feel like? Because you said like that that's one of the things that clued you into it wasn't the right thing and that you didn't feel like you thought it would feel. I thought it was going to be really fun Mm -hmm. to do the marketing. I thought it was going to be really fun to work with the therapists. And I always liked the behind the scenes stuff. Like I actually liked the admin and the logistics Mm -hmm. and the marketing. And I was starting to feel kind of, at the time, I was starting to feel kind of burned out on therapy sessions. Mm -hmm. And so I felt like, okay, this is a, I'm good at marketing. I have a wait list. I've got like what I and a lot of other people have been wanting. So no brainer, I should turn this into a group practice. I've got enough clients coming in for at least one other caseload. So I'll find somebody awesome. And I I decided to make it focused on couples therapy Mm -hmm. for niching. And I just felt like this is going to be fun. I had in an agency, I had been a manager before. So I, I knew I had some experience, not that I was the perfect boss, but I had some experience with managing folks. So I actually worked with Casey Truffaut. I don't know if anybody even remembers Casey, but I worked with Casey Truffaut to help me look at like how to do this, how to build a group practice. And I was really excited. I thought it would be fun and like playing to my strengths. What wasn't fun? So I was right that setting things up behind Mm -hmm. the scenes was kind of fun. Like I love me a checklist. (laughs) I love a spreadsheet. I love a plan. I love like, you know, putting together all these systems. And and it was really fun to just do things like, you know, create the schedule for the office and look at, okay, this is what I'm going to do this quarter, next quarter, all that planning stuff. But what was not so fun was running that system once I had built it. So for me, I love starting things. And eventually I get really tired of doing the same thing over and over again. Same. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I also, I'm not a great manager. Like Mm. I realized when I was working in the agency, it went pretty well. And I think that's partly because I was a manager, but I was also working with other managers. So I was on a team myself and I had a boss who I loved. And so me and my partner, whose also name was Sarah, my you know, agency partner, we ran a team together. Mm. And so I had her to bounce things off of. I had other managers to bounce things off of. So I was an okay manager in that situation. Yeah. But it also wasn't my money. Like it wasn't my business. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The worst things I ever had to do were not really my decisions. Like, yeah, you know, I was working for an agency. Yep. And looking out for their bottom line to some degree, but I could also like advocate for the people on my team. And, you know, I wasn't, I mean, some people who worked for me might disagree, but I wasn't usually the bad guy. Yeah. But then this was my business. Yeah. As a practice owner, my money. And, you know, it was completely different to be the only boss. So it felt kind of lonely. Yeah. 
Well, and because you're a parent too, I would love to hear mm. sort of your comparison because like my question to people who have been both managers and parents is like, which one's harder? Mm. And the feedback I've gotten is that being a manager is harder because at least with the kids, there's some level of love that's online usually. So that makes it worth it. Because as a parent, I imagine you also have to be the bad guy all the time mm -hmm. for so many reasons. But that must feel different because obviously you continue. I mean, you can't really get out of it anyway, but you continue to do it, right? So I don't know the question, but talk about that. Oh, I love that question. It makes me think of, so I think you're right. I would pick that parenting in a certain way is easier because I love my kids so damn yeah. much. But like, you know, last night, my 14-year-old was very clearly lying to me about screen time. <laughs> and... So I was in a moment where I was like, what do I do here? Like, am I going to really make it clear that I, even though I can't prove it, I know he's lying about yeah. how much screen time he's had today? Or am I going to, you know, so my partner and I strategized a little bit and I was frustrated. And like the larger purpose of all of this is really his growth and like yeah. him being himself in the world in the best way possible. So it's like whatever mistakes I make or he makes and we're fumbling through, it's like it isn't actually about screen time ultimately. And there's there's nothing else we're trying to do besides like be good people in the world as a family and raise him up together. Mm -hmm. So yeah, running a group practice where I had a lot of different things that were important to me felt more complicated. Yeah. Like I want to support the therapists. I feel like I had definitely had affection and love for the therapists I worked with. But our main purpose was really serving clients very well. Right. And then there's this other purpose of making sure that we're bringing in money, both for me and for them, and to sustain the thing. Right. And really ultimately, the goal would be for me to make the most money. So that's all very, you know, very complicated. Right. Yeah. As soon as money gets involved. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And well, I was just mm -hmm. talking, I just had a consultation meeting with a practice owner and the inherent power differential when money is involved, there seems to be on some level for whatever reason, I don't know why it's different between small businesses and like corporations, it's really, really easy to be like, fuck that corporation, right? Fuck, fuck whatever, you know, cis het white guy is at the top and is like taking my money. But then to be a small business owner and to have that, I don't know if that's ever came at you. And it definitely came at me in many different varieties, some, mm -hmm. <laughs> some aggressive, some like less aggressive, but it feels really bad to be holding that and knowing that mm -hmm. you're doing the best you can and it's not enough for some people. Mm -hmm. For me, temperamentally, mm -hmm. that's just not something I could continue to do. And this climate seems to be heightened for that mistrust or that like, mm. uh, yeah, it's like fear of the practice owner. Because like, I mean, ultimately, yes, the practice owner makes more money. And the hope is ultimately the practice owner is actually doing more work that would mm -hmm. earn that money, right? It's like, it's so hard because I understand where staff are coming from. Everybody wants more money. The economy fucking mm -hmm. sucks right now. So mm -hmm. I want you to be able to like mm -hmm. feel like you can pay your bills and your student loans because that's what we've all got. And yet 
Blue Cross Blue Shield gives us maybe 50 cents a raise each year, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. like, I don't even know what the answer is. Yeah. Well, and the practice owner is taking on more risk, right? Yeah. So yeah. the idea is that there's going to be some profit at some point and there's no guarantee of that. And the practice right. owner is the one who's going to yeah. beat it if there's no money. Yeah. So is not the right fit for everybody in that way. So yeah, they might be mm-hmm. working harder. They might be just like having to have their income go up and down in a way that can be stressful. That's literally a friend told me today that she had to not take a paycheck because mm-hmm. of all of the time off she had to pay out for folks in December. And I don't mm-hmm. think I don't think that employees hear that and it's like so I know you're also you have an anti-capitalist like understanding that like it's not about hoarding the wealth, but it's about making sure there's mm-hmm. enough there so that the business can continue to run. And I really mm-hmm. want I really want this to be a transparent podcast for both practice owners and for employees to kind of see behind the scenes because yeah. and I'll just say like as a practice owner, I could not be this transparent with my staff because it would just scare them. Mm, yeah. Because I can't say to you I didn't pay myself last month so that you could get time off because yeah. that makes everybody feel like there's not enough money, right? Yeah. I can't. I couldn't tell them that there was one year we lost a hundred thousand dollars. That's right because of people leaving the business and turnover, right? Mm-hmm. That scares the shit out of them. So I could say it here because no one is on my, you know, no one's getting paid by me now, and we can be more honest and transparent about it, not to martyr ourselves, right? Because that's not what it's about. We made the choice to take on these risks, but mm-hmm. so that it everybody just knows what's going on. Yes, absolutely. And I think being so transparent where you can, like how you're doing now, it's really helpful for people who might be, maybe they're working in a group practice mm-hmm. and maybe someday they're thinking they'd like to own one mm-hmm. to get to see, well, what is that actually like? And right. I've seen, and I, I have no idea who it was, so I'm not, you know, I'm not calling out anybody in particular, but I've seen some posts from group practice owners saying like, you know, we need to tell our employees, like, I'm having a really hard time mm-hmm. too. And I actually kind of don't necessarily agree with yeah. that. Like, I do kind of think it's part of the job of mm-hmm. the owner to part of what we're getting paid for is not having people on the team worry about those things if possible and being willing at times even to be seen as the villain. Yeah. That sometimes that's a more loving thing to do is to be like, I'm going to go home and cry, talk to my spouse about it, talk to my friends about it, but I'm going to go ahead and and just take that, take that projection right now because, you know, that's part of being the boss or part of being the owner. But I'm really curious what you think about that. Is that just like toxic no, bullshit? I think that, that you're I think you're right. Well, so two things. I think you're right because it is the risk that we assume and it's part of, yeah, I'm taking on so much bullshit and yes, I am going to take that 10% profit. Thank you very much. <laughs> right? Yeah. And my wish for practices is that we could I guess my like dream vision is if we could have these healthy holarchies. Do you know this term holarchy? Tell me. Oh, girl. I love it. So much stuff. Yes. 
I got to tell you about spiral dynamics, send you on a rabbit hole. But I was introduced to the term holarchy. Basically, so holons are whole things that if you stack them together, then they make other whole things. So it's whole things that are built by whole mm-hmm. things. So like atoms make molecules, make human beings, right? All of this sort of stuff. Yeah. So from mm-hmm. an organizational level, if we think about each individual therapist, then makes up this whole organization, mm-hmm. which then makes up, you know, part of people working in the city of Chicago and then, you know, in the state of Illinois and right. So it's all of these like small pieces, right? So if we take part of the whole on away, then the whole thing suffers on some level, right? The bigger it gets, the less obvious it is. But in a small business, I guess my hope is that we would begin to see it more as a holarchy than a hierarchy. Mm. Right now, so many of us are rejecting hierarchy, and I understand why, because mm-hmm. many of us have been harmed by it. But if we if we recognize that like holarchy means somebody is going to have more responsibility, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're better. Yeah. Or more important. Mm-hmm. Right. Because every practice owner would say to you that if they had no therapist, they would have no practice. Right. right. So each therapist needs to be able to like see the amount of clients that they need to see 20 a week or whatever it is mm-hmm. in order for the practice to be healthy financially to keep people employed. And that's my hope is that if we could create some sort of loop of a reciprocal understanding of what is really needed for a healthy organization, that the practice owner then wouldn't have to say like, oh, I'm struggling with this. It could be more of a, like, we all know we have to do our part. And when one person goes down, we all know we got to step in for that person. And it depends on what it is, who it is, not just the practice owner, but everybody. That's my wish. That's beautiful. It'll never happen because humans are way too messy. But (laughs) That's my aspiration. (laughs) That makes me think of like that particular role of being a practice owner. It wasn't right for me. And what I noticed, so I handed my practice to one of the therapists who was Mm. working in it. And my hunch was that it was a really good fit for her. Mm. And what I saw in her that made me think that, and this is what I think when I'm talking to therapists and they're asking me like, should I consider doing a group practice? And I've got like all these warnings about it. But when I see somebody who like really loves guiding other people clinically and loves collaboration and loves like supervising people and unlike me, really loves holding systems for long periods Mm -hmm. of time, then I feel like, well, that might be a really good fit. Like where you really want to nurture people and guide people day after day, year after year, that's a big part of the job. Agree or disagree? <laughs> so I would say yes. And mm-hmm. also recognize that you will be the bad guy and being a manager means holding people accountable. Because that's the thing, because I always hear people say, I love supervision. Mm-hmm. Supervision is different. totally different than management. And so like, mm-hmm. because also the other thing is not everybody wants to be fostered, right? Mm-hmm. Like. So you can't necessarily think that you're going into it to foster people's growth because that's not why everybody comes to group practice. Yeah. So I always tell people, if you want to be a manager and if you want to, if you can envision putting at least 60% of your time towards management and HR stuff, then this is the right thing for you. Mm. 
Smart. Because yeah. that's the part that I hear people struggle with the most. And so if you go into mm-hmm. it knowing that that's going to be the biggest chunk of your day, then you can't be mad. <laughs> I mean, you can, but I told you so. But that's yeah. what it's going to be. Yeah. And like, I think managing doesn't just mean setting up systems and handing them to people. It also means you're probably going to be telling the same person the same thing yeah. like 10 or 20 times. Yeah. You're going to be yeah. like needing to not just train people, but then, like you said, hold them accountable, yeah. like actually follow them in the process yeah. and see what's happening and what's not happening and stay on top of all of it. So when, when-ish when did you start your group practice? Gosh, Sarah, I think it was about 10 years ago. So the other thing that I, I just want to note for people that's different now than was 10 years ago, 10 years ago, because that's about when I started too, mm-hmm. you could hire a seasoned clinician into your practice and not have to train them on a thing. Mm-hmm. They would come knowing how to do notes, knowing how to maintain a caseload, knowing how to market themselves on some level, right? They would know all these things. Mm-hmm. Now, when we're hiring people right out of grad school, which is basically what you have to do because seasoned clinicians are all opening their own practice or they're going to you and they're they're doing their programs and they're having amazing success at that, right? These new therapists do not inherently have those skills, which is not bad, yeah. but that also means you mm-hmm. are spending a lot more time training and holding people accountable and teaching, really, teaching some of these skills yeah. that we were taking for granted that seasoned clinicians were bringing with them. Mm-hmm. So that's very, very different now. And I think that as a field, we were not prepared for that. Yeah. And that's got to take a lot of repetition and practice. Right. Yeah. And patience. And patience. And like, you know, God bless a new person coming into private practice who's like, yes, I'm going to see 30 people a week and I'm going to like, everybody has the best of intentions. Nobody comes in and is like, yeah, I'm going to struggle with marketing myself. I'm going to struggle with maintaining a caseload. I'm going to struggle with my confidence, which then impacts my caseload, all this stuff. They're all going to say the right thing. So as a manager, you sort of have to be able to predict Mm -hmm. and also be able to, it's like this gentle holding of like, I need to foster your growth, whether you think I do or not, Mm -hmm. and not in a patronizing way, but like, in order for us both to be successful, we need to be on the same page together. And that there seems to be a little overconfidence mm. of the newbies sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 I'm not kind of saying anything. You know, yeah. I mean, it's, that's what I'm seeing. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I remember thinking I was really excited that I was good at marketing mm-hmm. and I was going to get to like use my marketing skills to fill other people's practices. And then what I discovered was that really quickly, it was more, I had to use my marketing skills to keep other people's caseloads full. And I I now had the responsibility, instead of the feeling of like, I get to create jobs, I get to provide a paycheck for people. It was I have to maintain these jobs. I have to provide a paycheck for people. And so this is the part where I was like, Sarah, I'm going to be a downer. But like, I found that stressful. And I found that really different than I thought it would be. Yeah. And I'll tell you, Rayel probably doesn't want me talking about her, but I don't care because this part is just like so delicious to me. So Rayel is the woman that bought the practice. She was my executive director. 
literally the day. So we we've we been planning this for three years. And yeah. literally the day that I hand it over to her and the ink is dry. She can't back out now. She goes, now I get it. Now I understand oh. that weight that you were talking about. Because I, fu- I was so transparent. I was like, this is what it feels like yeah. to me. I constantly am afraid that people are going to be out of their jobs because I'm not doing something right or we're not we're out of money. Like I'm always checking the bank account. And she didn't get it until she was holding it all. So that yeah. feeling, yeah. Woo, yes. Yeah. And and if you are a good practice owner, the staff don't feel that, right? Mm-hmm. That's what you were talking about earlier, right? Not having to necessarily say like, oh, this is so hard for me for them to hold it because that's not their job. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. So, But she didn't regret it. Yeah. She was just like, I yeah. feel it. She okay. has a different wow. temperament than I do. So I, th- I think she's going to be better at it. Mm-hmm. Pro- I mean, probably just like the person you handed your practice off to. I just, you know, she's a totally different, she has a different way of doing things. She's a lot more organized. I think I think you and I are both mm-hmm. like the idea, the initiators, and then let's yes. let somebody else like figure out all the details. <laughs> She's the details one. Right. And so it's, I think she's going to be great. She's already great at it, but I, I just think it's going to be even better. That's right. I'm so glad you're giving people this chance to really think it over and look at like, all right, which one am I? Am yeah. I the like fire starter? Am I mm-hmm. the like fire tender? And yeah, to really be honest with yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I love helping people now like all i do is help people mm-hmm. create their thing and that i have a ton of energy for and ideas yep. and i can i can see like what's likely to work what's likely to need some tweaking and that's really different than doing the same thing over and over day yeah. after day yeah i realized too cuz even when i started the practice solo i was doing 800 different things yeah because i instantly was like i can't just sit in an office day after day and talk to people 20 hours a week that's just mm-hmm. i just can't do that i need to be doing eight thousand mm-hmm. things and so when i was doing that as a practice owner i was almost killing myself because i was doing all those extra mm-hmm. things and i just wasn't honest enough with myself to realize like i can't do both i thought i could i thought yeah. i could do it all and a lot of mm-hmm. us think we can <laughs> Mm-hmm. until we get burnt out and it's too late. It's not too, it's never too late. It's never too late. It's never too late, but it can feel really like a bummer yeah. to kind of extricate yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the way I extricated myself was, like I said, I handed it over to a therapist. I did not sell it. My practice wasn't running at the kind of profit where I looked at it, I was like, okay, should I sell it? Because I had really good SEO I was like, I could see a way that I could probably sell it. And I thought, okay, selling this practice is going to take a lot of energy. And so just for me personally, I'm not saying this is the right decision Mm -hmm. for anybody else. But for me personally, with the level of like what I could have probably gotten for it, I was like, I'm going to take all that energy that I would have used to kind of package up this Mm -hmm. center. And I'm going to put all of that into the business that I'm super excited about. So. That was how that went. Yeah. But I I kept my own individual private practice for a while, even after I closed or didn't close, but handed over mm-hmm. the center. Yeah, there's a million, there's a million different ways to do it. And I'm glad that you mentioned mm-hmm. you just handed it over because some people might be thinking, like, oh, well, am I giving up if I don't sell? Am I shorting myself? But I think I heard you make the equation of like, 
time and energy is just not worth it to go through that process. And yeah, it takes a long time. Mm. Yeah. And I felt like, well, as long as I could convince her to take it, I was like, it's going to be in really right. good hands. Right. And so that will mean like all the work I put into it, right. it won't just be sort of lost or go to somebody I don't think is awesome. Yeah. So totally. Yeah. Well, we could keep talking forever, but I do want these to be a little short and sweet. But I guess the last question will determine how short and sweet this is. From your vantage point, because you're talking to a lot of therapists right now who are doing a variety of different things, do you have any sense of the future of group practice? Do you have any predictions or wishes or any ideas of where we're headed? So I guess this is a wish, is I really have a preference for tiny micro businesses. Mm -hmm. And so I like the idea of group practices staying somewhat small, being super different from things like BetterHelp, mm -hmm. for example. Don't sue us. And really, really standing apart as like these tiny, high quality, highly ethical businesses where people who are very dedicated to serving clients and that's, you know, they want to make a good living at it. And like that is their that is their biggest goal. Mm -hmm. I think that's my wish. I think those kinds of tiny centers or group practices are often going to be giving the most high quality care. And yeah. so that's my wish is that those thrive. Yeah. And I think if we want to get there, I just want more informed practice owners because I think the biggest mm -hmm. I think the biggest problem with the whole practice owning business is that anybody can start it, mm -hmm. but it's really hard to maintain and to maintain well. Yeah. So I think the more conversations we have like this about all of the challenges, because like there are plenty of places that you can go to learn how to start a group practice. I don't know of a lot of other spaces where people are giving you honest, real feedback about the challenges and the potential pitfalls. Mm -hmm. So I really appreciate that you're here and that hopefully we're contributing to people being able to make like informed choices. Yes. And like, oh, my wish for people personally too is that you have a bestie who also is a group practice owner. Yes. Who you can just be so transparent with. Yes. And like, you don't have to hide a damn thing yes. from them because the, the competition and the secrets and the trying to look good, like yep. I get it, but that's exhausting. Yeah. So. so find your people, find your besties. Yeah. yeah. And just like be vulnerable. Yep. Yeah. Totally. Well, thank you. You're so amazing. Thank you so much. Where, where can people find you when they want to start their special niche program? Go to rebeltherapist.me. And you can also listen to Rebel Therapist podcast and hear stories of people like Sarah talking about what they've created. Yeah. Thank you so much, Sarah. Yeah, absolutely. You're amazing. You are amazing. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the special Burnt Out Practice Owner series. If you want more information about today's guest, go to our website at www.headheartbiztherapy.com slash podcast. Thanks to the Creative Imposter Studios for editing. And I'm your host, Sarah Buino. Until next time. Bye-bye.